there, it's Gary Parish. It is Wednesday, January 8, 2020, approaching 1 a.m. here on the East Coast. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and that was a fun Tuesday night in college basketball. Rutgers beat a nationally ranked Penn State team. Boston College beat a nationally ranked Virginia team. So let's get into it. Trivia time, dead leg Norlander. All right, dead leg is officially ending, okay? It's it's done. The leg is going. I'm better by the podcast. By the way, go ahead with your trivia time, but we're Skyping, and literally the second as we start recording, you turned the light off in your room, and so now there's just this romantic New York City backdrop that you're going with. You still got the tie on. I feel like you're going to – it's 1245. I feel like you're trying to seduce me over over telecommunications right now. You're still dressed from the studio, and you got the lights behind you. Like, we talked – the lights were on in your room. You're like, all right, we're going to hit on this. And then I was like, all right, three, two, one to record. And you turned off the lights. So I don't even know. I feel oddly comfortable. Go ahead. This is a, a weird thing that I do. I do not like being in the light. Now, you could probably like examine what that says about me. But I do my radio show. I walk in the studio because it's, it's a one-man show. I do the show by myself. I walk in the studio. I turn the lights off. I do my radio show completely in the dark. Completely normal behavior. Don't so, like, when I host the Jim Rome show, it's televised, and I have to do it under lights. And it's not—it's not just the cam- the cameras don't make me uncomfortable. The lights make me uncomfortable because I'm not used to doing a radio show in the light. And so, same thing here. I was always going to turn the lights off when we started recording. Well, you just came from CBS Sports Network. You're under the lights there. Do you want to do that in the dark? I I am not in control of the lighting situation at CBS Sports Network. But if I were, we we might. We might. We might do it in the dark. Trivia time. Oh, yeah. Trivia time, Deadlight Norlander. When's the last time Rutgers and Boston College beat nationally ranked teams on the same night or on back-to-back nights? It's never happened. Uh, incorrect answer. Wait, I, I had Borzello tweeting that it's never happened. That it's, it's never happened on the same night? Yeah. I said the same night or on back-to-back nights. Okay, so back-to-back nights, we're talking Rutgers, we're talking Boston College, ranked teams. It's not remotely guessable. So <laughs> No, it's not guessable. So let me give it to you. January 29th and January 30th, 2002, Boston College beat number 15 Miami on January 20th, 2002. Rutgers beat number 17 UConn on January 30th, 2002. That is courtesy of CBS Sports Network research team. I was just – I didn't Obviously, tell there's zero shot you looked that up yourself. <laughs> There was, well, I didn't tell them because I don't know if I'm supposed to be using them for Ion College Basketball Podcast. Yes, on. no, you can. I use them. <laughs> I use them occasionally for the court report. Shouts to Troy Bell. I know that he was on that Boston College team for sure. That's that's peak Troy Bell era. I don't know who else was on the BC team, but I know Troy Bell was on that team. So I was like, can you look up when's the last time, if it's ever happened, Boston College and Rutgers beat ranked teams on the same night? And very quickly, they said that it has never happened. I said, okay, has it ever happened like on back-to-back nights? And that was the answer, January 29th and 30th, 2002. Let's talk about both of these for um, a second because Rutgers is now 12-3 and overall, 3-1 and in the Big Ten, top 40 at Ken Palm. They've got three top 30 Ken Palm wins. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Seton Hall. They beat Penn State. Also own a win over the Stephen F. Austin team that won 
at Duke. They're tied for second in the Big Ten right now. Ohio State's tied for 12th. Rutgers is tied for second. What are we even doing here? What are we doing? We've had a podcast season in which we've opened up on DePaul and Rutgers within a matter of like three and a half weeks. What is going on? Where are we? Is this our own known universe? Rutgers, Steve Peichel. You know, I heard Pete Gillen say on Inside College Basketball that he came from Stony Brook and they were below the plankton back when he was at Stony Brook out on Long Island. Now he's got Rutgers growing like seaweed up through the up through the ocean floor. I don't even know where I'm going with this. Hey, Coach, Coach, Coach Gillen is the best tonight on television. He, he just he sometimes he just starts randomly talking about things. And so tonight on TV, he was like, uh, "Yeah, Gary over there, he's a Mississippi mogul." <laughs> I was like, when did I become a Mississippi mogul? <laughs> I love it. Hey, shouts to Rutgers at twelve and three. We're talking about him for legitimate reasons here, not just because of the three and one record in the Big Ten, but because of this. Plenty of plenty of nails to pound. Shouts to you, Rothstein. Um, Rutgers is a viable. NCAA tournament candidate trivia time. Okay, off the top of my dome. Last time Rutgers make the NCAA tournament, what year? No idea. Give me your best guess. My best guess is going to be 1998. Not bad. Rutgers is the longest, has the longest run of any team in a power conference, and this is off the top of my dome. I think it's 92, but it might be 91. Hold on. You know what? I'm going to just I'm going to check that real quick. Do a little Wikipedia a, a, check a, here. A, okay. a professional podcaster has his trivia times checked Whatever. Out. I'm I'm vamping. It's 1 a.m. and I don't care. And guess what? NCAA tournament appearances. 91. Bada boom, bada bing, bada bang. We're looking at a 29-year gap here. Rutgers and Pikel, they got a real shot. Good defense and uh, you can speak more to this than even I can because you were at the Big Ten uh, Media Day. You were not the MC of the Big Ten, though. You were the MC of the A-10. But at the Big Ten, <laughs> Big Ten coaches said in the preseason, almost universally across the board, Rutgers is going to be noticeably better this season. That's proving to be the case so far at 12-3. and And, yes, we could potentially have the longest route from a power conference team in the NCAA tournament end here in 2020. At this pace, they're looking good. Still plenty of work to do. Next game is at Illinois on Saturday. Because of where Steve's jobs have been located, um, he has often been in studio with us in the uh, in the postseason, like during the NCAA tournament. And he's such a, a, a nice man. Like he's a, he's a, obviously a, a great basketball coach. I mean, just for a second, let's focus on this. Penn State and Rutgers played a nationally relevant basketball game in January. Like that's never supposed to happen. You can reasonably argue those are the two toughest Big Ten jobs in terms of yep. you get the job. Now you've got to try to succeed in the same league as Ohio State, Michigan State, Indiana, Michigan. Like good luck. Those are tough jobs. And it is pretty remarkable that on January 8th, um, Pat Chambers and Steve Peichel both have a realistic chance to make the NCAA tournament. They're both doing tremendous jobs. You know, when you play each other, the way the sport works, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. Steve wins on this one, Pat loses. But I will not be surprised if if 
if Steve Peichel is not in studio with us during the NCAA tournament, and that's because he's coaching in the NCAA tournament. Could well be the case here. Big Ten is the best conference in America, and there's still a lot to sort out. A quick note on Penn State, though. If you're a Penn State fan, you got this, this season finally. Finally, it looks like it's going to come together. You stuck with Chambers. He's in year nine. Can you get to the tournament for the first time under him? It's still possible, uh, even, even probable, but... The, like, I watched all of the Rutgers game, and, it, you know, Rutgers had it in hand. Like, it was a convincing Rutgers win. It wasn't like it got away from Penn State. And your most recent win was against Iowa, which is now 10-5, and five, and you scooted. It was a great game over the weekend, don't get me wrong, but then Iowa lost at horrid Nebraska on Tuesday night. And if you really look at Penn State's resume, it's defeated, okay, Yale, all right, Syracuse lost again. Lost to Virginia Tech on Tuesday night. The Maryland win is great. Alabama's not going to make the NCAA tournament, and the Iowa win's nice. But you really, if you're a Penn State fan, you got to be screaming like, "Come on! What's like? Can we at least have the teams that we're able to beat play above their, you know, or at least to their level within the Big Ten? So Iowa's letting down Penn State, uh, you know, in the aftermath of that. Uh, Nittly Lions, I was a seller on in the preseason. I came back around. I'm still there with them, but I was hoping that I was going to see. A bit more of a competitive game from them on on Wednesday night wasn't necessarily the case. Rutgers, good on you for getting that kind of win. You're riding high. I mean, haven't lost in it's literally been a month since your last loss, which was at Michigan State. Um, I got a thought on BC, but I, I'll hold off on that in case you got anything else on Rutgers or Penn State in particular. Well, let's just move on to that Virginia BC game because that was a, another surprising result. Final score: sixty fifty three, Boston College over Virginia. So now. The Cavaliers, you know, they started the season 9-1, and one, and they were consistently in the top 10 at Ken Palm. Um, lone loss was a blowout loss at Purdue, but they still had a win over Arizona State, still had a win over Syracuse, still had a win over North Carolina. What's interesting is that none of those wins today look as good as they looked when they actually happened, and now Virginia doesn't look as good um, as it appeared to be early in the season. Two and two, past four games with losses to South Carolina and Boston College. Those are both sub-100 Ken Palm teams. Um, they, they seem to be headed the wrong direction. They are um, not good here. I mean, still the top-rated defense. I get all that, but uh, didn't look good. I watched most of the second half of this game uh, on Tuesday night, and the, the Braxton Key goes down with a wrist thing late in the second half. He had missed like three weeks and change because – of a, of a beat-up wrist that actually happened. I was at the game when that happened against Arizona State at Mohegan Sun uh, back in November. He's not their best player, but he is the kind of guy, frankly, when your team is this devoid of offensive reliability, if you lose Braxton He again for a significant amount of time, there's going to be problems there. Um, Boston College, you get the win, that's great. Like I don't think Jim, I don't think Jim Christian's gonna make it to next season as the coach there. This is probably his swan song unless they can really get it turned around. But then again, Parrish, like a quick note on the ACC, it stinks. Like I think Duke's the best team in college basketball. Uh, Florida State's been very solid. Louisville, you know, certainly can get to a Final Four if things are going right. And Jordan War has probably been a top ten player this season, but. Up and down, I don't know, Parrish. It rates fourth at Ken Palm. It seems like it should be even worse than that. 
And I don't want to be one of those pundits that points to a Rutgers win over Penn State and says, that's why the Big Ten's so strong, and then points to a Virginia Tech win at Syracuse or a BC win over Virginia and say, that's why the ACC sucks, because I feel like college pundits can sometimes speak out of two sides of their mouth when it comes to that stuff, particularly when we talk about the SEC and football. But on the whole, I don't know, man. Carolina, obviously down. Um, Q's way down. Miami, not nearly as good as we thought it would be. Virginia, uh, horrid, putrid offense down. NC State, don't even know. I just look up and down this this league, and here, I, I, you know, the morning of January eighth, as we talk here, Parish, I don't have confidence that the ACC is going to manage to get more than five teams into the NCAA tournament, and that's obviously not common for that conference. In recent seasons, it's been seven, nine. Nine, seven, six, and then the last time that it would have been this low would have been 2012-2013 when it got four teams into the tournament. That was the final year that the ACC did not have Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, or Big East involved, or, or Syracuse involved. Those were all Big East teams. So we wait and see. So you know, I want to take the opportunity to talk about BC beating Virginia and just kind of just a, a passing commentary on the ACC. It, you know, it often gets talked about as a great league. It is a great league, but we got to ad- admit that this is undeniably a down year, and I think the conference is going to struggle to for sure get five teams into the tournament. Well, when you have North Carolina operating outside of the projected bracket and Syracuse operating outside of the projected bracket, like two big brands led by two Hall of Fame coaches, and both teams stink. One of them stinks so bad that Roy Williams – or, you know, has, has publicly said it's the least gifted team yeah. he's ever coached, which is different, I think, than saying um, this is the worst team I've ever coached because it probably is the worst team he's ever coached, at least yes. the worst team he's ever coached in North Carolina. But you can say it's the worst team and then take some of that responsibility. When you say this is the least gifted North Carolina team I've ever had, that translates into my players suck. And I don't know how that plays in a locker room. Like, listen, Roy's a Hall of Famer, so he can handle it however he wants. And I'm sure he's speaking out of frustration because he's only missed the tournament one time in the past 30 years. And he's probably about to miss it again. But I did think that was a, an interesting, unusual comment from a head coach to say my team simply isn't gifted enough uh, to, to, to be good. Uh, back to Virginia. Um, I believe I will drop them out of the top 25 and one on Wednesday morning. I honestly haven't even looked at it yet. I'm dreading even having to look at it. But if that happens, I'll only have three ACC teams in the top 25 and one. Duke, obviously, Louisville, and uh, Florida State. And with this loss um, at BC, Virginia goes from number 25 at Ken Palm to number 36 at Ken Palm. Trivia time. Okay, 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 okay. When was the last time? Virginia was this low, this low being 36th or lower at Ken Palm in any point in any season. Uh, 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 okay, so I'm going to say I think it was the th- third year with Bennett. So that'll be he was hired 09, so 9, 10, 10, 11, 11. The 11, 12 season is my guess. That is an incorrect answer. The okay. correct answer would be on January 4th, 2014. Virginia was 42nd at Ken Palm. And then they won that night, and they ended up winning 21 of the next 23 games. They finished 30-7 and seven on the season. They made the Sweet 16. Their final Ken Palm ranking, even though they were 42nd on January 4th, final Ken Palm ranking that season was number four. 
So they got it going uh, around the same time in the calendar and took off in the right direction. But I'll be shocked if this team takes off in the right direction. They are now rated 199th in adjusted offensive efficiency. I don't care how well you go. Yikes. If you're that bad on that end of the court, you're not going to be very good. Yeah, that's rough. They were outside the top 50 in the net coming into the day, coming into the night. And when it refreshes on Wednesday, they'll take another dip there. This is what we're talking about here when we discuss the ACC's issues collectively getting teams into the tournament. Um, and there's games to go. I get that. Like if you t- if you tell me Virginia wins seven of its next eight, I'm not going to be stunned. But it's going to take that kind of uh, win streak to get them back up there. And they got to f- like again. We don't know what the key situation is. If we'll have an update on him on Wednesday, maybe Thursday at the latest. Uh, if he'll be out, and if so, for how long? But it's a problem, man. That lack of offense is just, it's so bad that even though the defense is legitimately great uh, and I'm probably—I'm assuming annoying as hell to prep and play, uh, there's not enough to make up on the other side of the floor, at least at this point. Like, you know, they've held opponents under 40 points four times this season, which is tremendous. And Virginia might become the first team since Princeton in 1991, talk about uh, 91 with Rutgers, that same season, Princeton held opponents under 50 points per game. It's the only program to do that in the shot clock era. Virginia's trying to do it, but it's going to need more on offense to uh, to make up for that, and it's just not there. So there were a lot of fun games in college basketball on Tuesday night, but there were only two games between ranked teams. Number 11, Ohio State, at number 12, Maryland, was one of them. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So in a span of 24 days, Ohio State has gone from 9-0 and number one at Ken Palm to 11-4 on a three-game losing streak. That's the result of Tuesday night's 67-55 loss at Maryland. That's obviously not good. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I feel like we talk about Ohio State every podcast, but this is an unexpected turn in the wrong direction. Are you worried about the Buckeyes, Norland? Uh, potentially a little bit here. Um, credit to Maryland for that win. I mean, Maryland is, to be fair, we talked about them a little bit in the preseason, and I thought I was as high on Maryland as maybe anyone. And in truth, you were pretty much essentially right there with me here they are 13 and two you get this kind of win at home doesn't matter the opponent like just get to this point 
Three and one in the Big Ten. Overall, steady yourself. Anthony Cowan looking terrific, and the pieces around him looking good. So Maryland, we see you. You're doing great. Can you keep it up with a Friday road test against you know, enigmatic Iowa? Wait and see on all of that stuff. With Ohio State, it's just it's the kind of swoon that really no one saw coming because um, when we got past Thanksgiving, we had the discussions that Ohio State was operating almost undeniably like the best team in the sport, and that's no longer the case. Now, not at full strength, get that, because um, they haven't had Kyle Young in the past few games because he did wind up having uh, an appendectomy to get that appendix uh, taken care of there. And he went through warmups, apparently, obviously didn't play. I would think maybe, hopefully, he'll play in the OSU's roadie against Indiana, which takes on a lot more urgency, really, for both teams. Uh, and we'll get to that on the on the weekend preview podcast, uh, I would think, maybe. But, yeah, GP, you know, I'll wrap it up real quick here. I do have some concern. I still think that Ohio State at the end of the conference season in a good Big Ten, a really good Big Ten, is going to wind up being a top three team, though. I'd go Michigan State, Maryland, Ohio State, still top three, um, which I think, I want to say that was the preseason. Eh, maybe Purdue was in there. I don't know, but they're totally weird. But anyway, that's my expectation, even with this swoon. But, you know, next two out of the next three are road games, and they're against Indiana and Penn State, so it could get worse. Ohio State was 5 of 26 from three-point range in the loss at Maryland. And if you're looking for a pattern in these four losses on the season, that's it. Bad three-point shooting. Lost to Minnesota. Uh, they shot 7 of 30 from beyond the arc. The loss to West Virginia, they shot 8 of 24 from beyond the arc. The loss to Wisconsin, shot 6 of 20 from beyond the arc. Lost to Maryland, again, 5 of 26 from beyond the arc. If you add that up on your iPhone calculator – they are combined 26 of 100 in the four losses. That is, according to my iPhone calculator, 26% from beyond the arc. And this is, by the way, a good three-point shooting team. When they were 9-0, and they were shooting right around 40% from three-point range, top 10 in the country. But they haven't shot well since then, and the record now reflects that. Obviously, no Cal Young. Um, that's a thing, but they'll get him back at some point. But, um, you know, he doesn't make up for all of these problems. And it, it's hard not to notice that this is starting to look a lot like last season. You know, they started 12-1 and last season. Then they lost five straight. They ended up finishing regular season 18-13. and That means they went 6-12 and after starting 12-1, and and now they're doing something similar. I do not think this team is going to spiral the other direction the way that team did, but it is true that after a great start, Ohio State's heading the right direct, wrong direction for the second consecutive year. Yeah. That's why the game of this weekend will be interesting because this happened with Indiana last season as well. Started strong, and then the bottom came out. So the loser of that game, the fan base, is really going to be freaking out about deja vu all over again. We'll wait and see. Um, but we are seeing a little bit of this materializing in, like, multiple places. And you don't need to make this a whole segment, but you mentioned, like, an Ohio State slipping. Utah State lost its third game in a row on Tuesday night. Was non-competitive at Air Force. So this is the second straight season where we've had an overwhelming preseason favorite in the Mountain West completely fail to show up. It's problematic for the Aggies because you've gone from universally almost regarded as a top 20 team to now like your NCAA tournament profile is in jeopardy and you can't afford to take any more losses. So uh, I know we don't talk a ton of Mountain West on the pod here because, you know, of the weird times of the games. But but Utah State losing again and at Air Force is worth at least a passing mention. That th That has taken on... Um, a certain phase of urgency with a quickness. Um, in terms of ranked teams getting wins on Tuesday night, do we agree 
Baylor going to Lubbock, Texas and winning 57-52. That's the most impressive thing? That was pretty impressive. Like, it wasn't uh, – so I watched the entire game. It wasn't – like this overwhelming dominant performance. Jared Butler didn't even play that well. He's their best player. And uh, it's just, I don't know, man. I've probably seen Baylor play five, six times probably this season. And every time I watch him play, um, I walk away from the game, and it's been a win with every time except one against Washington, thinking like, yeah, they just kind of are doing just enough. Like they're really good on the glass yet again, uh, and that's a big key to their success because it's not a team that like slices and dices you. It's not a team that's remarkable on offense. It gets it done just enough on defense, uh, and that's that's great. Um, but it doesn't have you know just an array. Even though it shoots relatively decently from three-point range, you never feel, at least I don't when I watch Baylor, like it's going to come in and just bomb away at you and, and beat you with 13 three-pointers and shoot 65% from inside the arc and have just one of these amazing nights. No, they just they scout well. They do just enough, and they're 12-1. and one. Palms got him at a number one seed, rightfully so, in his latest bracketology. Baylor and Butler, along with Duke and Gonzaga, are his current one seeds, and I don't really think there's any argument against that right now. You want to throw San Diego State in there? Sure, I'd buy it. Um, but uh, but no, impressive. Go into Texas Tech, get that win, 57-52, grind it out, um, got some needed shots down the stretch, and now it sets up. The game of the weekend, easily. It will Baylor will play on the road at Kansas in a top-five matchup, and that will be on Saturday. We'll obviously get to that and previewing and picking that on the next pod. But that's a that's a mammoth game, and, oh, by the way, it is a CBS game at 1 o'clock on Saturday. So just a, a heads-up well in advance, that's the game more than any other that you want to build your Saturday around because um, – you know, the Big 12 race will rely on, you know, will be dictated by that, and that's the kind of win for Baylor – that if it can get it, that's what's going to convince people that it's actually the best team in the Big 12 because right now people are still going to default to Kansas. I'm not sure if you're aware, but CBS is America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. I'm aware of this, yes. Okay, so Baylor at Kansas, that'll bring up that Scott Drew fact people always bring up. I'm not even sure if it's true anymore, but at one point it was true. Scott Drew had lost <laughs> <multiple> games <laughs> inside Allen Fieldhouse. The it's Bills not. I, that's not true anymore. I think after last season, I don't think that's true anymore. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but yeah. uh, people had fun with that one yeah. for a while. But uh, Scott Drew is uh, getting the last laugh. This is a guy who, I mean, we've been over it a million times on the podcast, but inherited something unlike anybody else has ever inherited. A player murdered another player, and he takes over an absolute mess of a situation. And I do believe the rebuilding job he's done in Baylor at Baylor is one of the great rebuilding jobs in in the history of of college basketball. And now he's got a team that is a legitimate Final Four slash national champion uh, contender. They they've got four top twenty five Kimpom wins right now: Villanova, Arizona, Butler, and Texas Tech. And yeah, I, I suppose there will still be some skeptics because they don't just jump off the page at you there's not like obvious mm -hmm. nba draft picks on the roster and there's you know it's it's not you know two mcdonald's all americans it's just like a bunch of guys who really play well together and that's a testament that coaching staff identifying uh, the talent that they've got and then developing it into what it is but you go win at kansas that's the that's the type of thing that forces people to to pay attention so absolutely that is the that's the biggest game on saturday and it's It'll be on America's Most Watched Network. I got the mail back. Let's do it. 
every midweek podcast ends with mailbag questions. The way we do it, if you're just catching up, is uh, we we uh, request that you go to Apple Podcasts and rate it five stars and 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 leave a nice uh, podcast review. And after writing incredibly kind things about me or Norlander or both of us even. If you want to ask a question there, you can ask a question there and I'll read every one of them. I always do. And then I'll pull out three and uh, we'll spend a little time on each of them midweek podcast at the end of it. So let's start with a a question that we got from Craig. Craig says he takes a yearly guys trip with some old college friends, right? And they're planning it this year Mm. around a college basketball game. All right. So his his question is this. What city offers the best combination of basketball and nightlife? He adds that they've already done Durham-Duke, so they're not going back there, but they're looking for what's the next best place where we can go see good basketball and have a a hell of a good time at night. This is a good question. This is a solid reader submission. I appreciate that. Um... So you want to optimize this for like I don't know how much flexibility you and your buddies got, and when you're looking to take this trip, but I assume it's going to be you know in the next two to six weeks before March gets going, and obviously the tournaments and teams go to neutral sites, et cetera, et cetera. So um, good city, good hoop, good destination, maybe not overly uh, obvious there. Um, Louisville jumps to mind because the team is good enough. Louisville's a pretty solid city, particularly if you're looking to to get social and you know, if you don't mind the if if you're if you're one for the brown liquor, there's no shortage of bourbon in Louisville. I quite assure you of that. And uh, even Kentucky fans would admit that Lexington's an awesome little college city. Louisville's just a superior city uh, in the state. I'm sure some Kentucky fans don't agree with that. I'll yeah, be I was he- about to say. I bet you uh, they will, and they'll they'll be. I'll be hearing from that. Kentu- Lexington's solid. Louisville is a better city. That's undeniable. It is a it is a bigger city, and there's just a bit more to offer. Lexington also has the has uh, has some of the ponies, but not at this time of the year. Um, Louisville will host. What's their best? Oh, what's their best game? Oh boy, this is the ACC is not having a good year, man. I'm not seeing one remaining Louisville home game. Maybe Virginia, and Louisville fans even got horror flashbacks from a couple years ago with the way Virginia pulled out that game at the Yum Center there. Other than that, if Carolina gets good and Cole Anthony's involved, mid to late February is involved. So Louisville was one that popped to mind. And then let me just give a second one that you can offer your. Uh, Offer your thoughts and opinions on it. Um, you can also, by the way, this is completely plausible. You try and do a double dip Louisville Lexington if you want to make it happen. You did. You did the state of North Carolina. Why not do the state of Kentucky? Otherwise, I've never been there, and I we'll see if the team is. I I hear great things about this as a college town. Now maybe in February it's not so great, but I've heard Madison is incredible. Right. Wisconsin. The question is, are they going to be good enough that you're going to want to go see whoever they play? But they host Michigan State Saturday, February first. They host Ohio State Sunday, February 9th. So either of those games is a nice little opportunity if you want to go to a spot that's regarded pretty much universally as a top ten college city town, whatever you want to call it in the country. I have both of the cities. I made a list, and I didn't really go through and look at schedules. I just sort of tried to combine good basketball teams with fun cities and fun setups and both the cities you have you you just said louisville and madison 
I, I had them on my list. I think I listed, let me count them here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven places, and two of them were Louisville and, and Madison. I've had terrific times in both Louisville uh, and Madison. Lawrence, Kansas is, is another one. Like, if, if you, you, know, you want to check off bucket list stuff, Allen Fieldhouse is mm-hmm. awesome, and Kansas is obviously good and i've had fun times in there's lawrence, actually it's kansas. yeah it's it's kind of under the like it's it, i've been to lawrence as well and there's a few like legitimately terrific food spots down there on that on that main strip in lawrence i would endorse that. Uh, there's that there's that one restaurant we always go to it's like the it's named after an area code or something do you remember what that I, is i do not I do not. Restaurant in Lawrence. Okay. A, a real podcast. <laughs> yeah, I have this information we ready. About, I didn't know we were going to talk about uh, <laughs> seven one. I think it's called 715 Restaurant. Uh, well, I would, if, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably right. Yes. 715. So that's a terrific. So you got a nice restaurant there. The bar scene is the bar scene. And uh, you get to see Allen Fieldhouse, which I do think, and these aren't uncommon opinions, but when you're talking about the two coolest places to see a college basketball game, at least in my opinion, it's Cameron Indoor and, and Allen Fieldhouse. And so if you've already been to Cameron, why not try Allen Fieldhouse? Um, I put down Columbus, Ohio. You know, Columbus is like a real city. That's a city, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. So you get to go see a – well, I don't know if they're good. Yeah. <laughs> but they used to be good. Like 24 days ago they were good, and so maybe 24 Virginia, days ago. Virginia used to be good. Charlottesville's a nice little town too, so I don't know if that right. is on your list or not. But yeah. Like Spokane, uh, Washington. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You're Listen – I'm not saying you're wrong, but you got to commit. That's I don't know where our uh, our fellow lives yeah, here. Yeah, it's gonna take it takes you a minute to get there. Yeah. but once you get there, it's great. They've got that wonderful five star historic hostel, so you, you stay there, and then uh, you pop around uh, the bar scene with Adam Morrison and Dan Dickow. That's what I did uh, one night, and then um, and then you get to go to the kennel, which is a terrific place to see a basketball game. San Diego, California. Yeah, but I f- listen. San Diego is incredible. You should go to it whenever you can, no matter what the reason. But I feel like, like well, San Diego State's good, so you want to check them out again. That's a flight, and also that's just such a big city that I feel like it's too big for what we're talking about. Not that we need exclusively like small college towns, but that you might as well just you know that's a, a step away from Los Angeles. Like, like obviously, you go watch a possible undefeated team in an amazing college basketball environment. And then you get to experience San Diego. Like, I, I'll do it. I'll go with them if they go to San, San Diego. Diego's, San Diego's and, real. And if you play golf, you can you can play uh, Torrey Pines because it is a state park. And, you know, you got to get up at 6 a.m. and go put your name in the list and all that stuff. But you can you can still play Torrey Pines, and that's uh, that's a little double whammy for you. So and the, seventh, yeah. the seventh city I have listed, um, I'm obviously biased. But if you're looking for fun basketball and a fun night, Memphis. I don't disagree. I figured you were going to mention that. Memphis has to be considered. I've never been to Memphis, uh, maybe ironically enough, but I, that has to be on the list for sure. I actually think it is one of the best basketball setups for, like, if you are flying in to cover a game at FedEx Forum because FedEx Forum is in downtown Memphis just off of Bill Street. And the, they have a beautiful Weston literally across the street from FedEx Forum. So you fly in, you Uber to your Weston, you you never have to get in a car again. Mm. You've got awesome restaurants, Bill Street, FedEx Forum, and the Weston, all within, I mean, a half mile radius of each other. You just walk back and you never, I mean, you everything you want, crazy bars, calm bars, uh, clubs, great restaurants, uh, you know, uh, you know, quick restaurants, 
FedEx Forum, Awesome Arena, and the Westin all right there. Memphis is a great place to find and cover a basketball game, so that would be on the, the list as well. Um, got a question from Sean. Okay. Here's what he asks. He asks if there's a player more important to his team or more deserving of Player of the Year honors than Cassius Winston. Hmm. Um, well, more deserving at this point, I would have Vernon Carey Jr. as the Player of the Year right now. Um, Me too. So he's more deserving. More important. You know what? I got to say that there are players that are more important to the team because, like, for example, Xavier Tillman is 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 evolving to the stage where that staff was hoping it would be, and he's awesome. Okay, so Cassius Winston's terrific. He is already one of the ten best players in that program's history, and by the end of the season, he could he could well crack into the top five, and that is not an easy top five to crack into given what Michigan State is. But like, you take Jordan Wara off of Louisville. Like, I don't even think they're close to what they are right now. Um, that's just one off the top of my head. And, like, we've seen what, like, I don't know how good, I guess, Carolina is with Cole Anthony, but without him, like, the bottom has come out from underneath. Peyton Pritchard on Oregon stands out to me as someone who's pretty important. So Cassius Winston would be on the short list, but Michigan State was the preseason number one team, and it was because of a lot of the stuff that was around him. A lot of the guys they had around him, Xavier Tillman just being one of them. Um, you know, Aaron Henry certainly shows some promise. You know, Marcus Bingham hasn't put it together yet. Gabe Brown hasn't put it together yet. But those are good pieces. So I would say that he would not make my top three or top four like most indispensable players. He's the difference in getting him to win a title. But I just happen to think that there are a few other teams that rely on one player a lot more than MSU with Sparty. You agree? Yeah, I do agree. Um, I, I think Vernon Carey would be the national player of the year right now. I don't, I'm not ruling Cassius Winston out from eventually getting it. He's playing really well right now, and so is Michigan State. But if I had to turn in a ballot at this moment, my ballot would be for, for Vernon Carey, who has the highest player efficiency rating in the country. He's the only PER above 40. Um, I do think that Cassius Winston is in the conversation for most important player. But I don't know that he's obviously the most important player to his team. I mean, the guys you mentioned are all great, especially, I think, Peyton Pritchard. Um, I would argue Obi Toppin at Dayton. You know, what's Dayton without him? I would argue Marcus Howard at Marquette, Miles Powell at Seton Hall, sure. Devon Dotson at Kansas. Well, you know, guys who have the ball in their hands. Yeah, but Dotson has Azubuki, so I would say no to Dotson. That's all. Because that's, like that, that's, like that's like a Winston Tillman light almost in a way. That's all. Uh, maybe Azubuki at Kansas. You saw what they were last year without him. That's that's true. Yeah, there's certainly a, a case to be made for that. Yeah. yeah, so I think there's other guys that that, be, that that you could reasonably make cases for. But but certainly Cassius is, is on the list. And for whatever it's worth, Sean, who is a Michigan State fan who left that question, he says Cassius Winston is already in the Michigan State Mount Rushmore. I guess Irvin's got to be in that one. Yes. Who else? Mateen Cleaves? Yes, won a title. Has to be. Um, Irvin, Mateen Cleaves. Is it uh, Draymond? Four-year player. Um, there's a lot of dudes. Uh, I mean, you got Steve Smith, Scotty Skiles, Denzel Valentine, Cleaves, um, Irv. There's probably even a dude that like MSU fans know who was like awesome in the 60s or 70s. Who would Drew be- Neitzel? True Neitzel, Drew Neitzel. Uh, shouts to Drew Neitzel, who is one of the all-time uh, just 
unforgettable players, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he's not, but he is. I time. love Drew Neitzel. I was a Drew Neitzel fan. I'm not. I'm not throwing any shade at Mr. Neitzel. He was genuinely fun to watch play. Um, even guys, they wouldn't be on the Mount Rushmore like um, Jason Richardson. He was a two-year player. I think Zach Randolph was a one-year player at that. Sebo. Yeah. Um, Cassius already on the Mount Rushmore. If you got to go top four. It's getting close. If he, God forbid, broke his leg tomorrow and never played another game again for Sparty, would he be top Jesus. four? Orlando Jesus. So, okay, I'm just, Winston I'm just saying. Hasn't Cassius Winston been through enough? And now He has. I'm saying if he did not play another dead game. Norlander, de- now dead leg Norlander is wishing broken legs on other people. I, I am not at all wishing anything of the sort. I'd say he's top five. If I, I can't use my leg, I don't want to. I can use my leg. Is their leg. Oh, I can use it. It's better by the day. <laughs> better by the I got I got better strength in this leg than you got in your arm right now. I know that much. God, my right arm. Dead arm. Dead arm. <laughs> this is this is the Ion College basketball podcast with Dead Arm Parish and Dead Lake Norlander. That's what we are. <laughs> Somebody sent us a like a Oh, uh, so funny. A, are you talking about the gift? GIF or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it was like, here's Norlander and Parish getting ready for the podcast. It's like wheeling two guys into a room. <laughs> it is ridiculous. It is. Like we're we're the most we're the most handicapped podcast uh, focused on college basketball right now. Completely in the world. That's right. In the world. That's so, right. Uh, right. Next anyway, question. Yeah, I'm, I'm ha- listen. I'm gonna assume Sean knows more about who belongs on the Michigan State Mount Rushmore than we do. So if he says it's Cassius Winston, then I'm with it. It's right. Magic Mateen, please. Cassius Winston, and far as I'm concerned, Drew Neitzel. Okay, you go Drew Neitzel. I'll go Denzel Valentine, but sure. Okay. Right. Uh, last question, Tom asks, what previously, and this is a tough one, what previously unheralded program, like Gonzaga, say 15 years ago, could become a consistent top 25 program over the next decade? Well, I'd say it was even Gonzaga two decades ago, 15. Yeah. Even like 15 years ago, Gonzaga's, you know, they're getting the tournament every year. Uh, like, if we're going, like, tr- here's the thing. If we're going Gonzaga comparison, you First got, off, there's no Gonzaga comparison. There Nobody's isn't. Gonna so do what Gonzaga so we can't, exactly. Like, Gonzaga went from school with a weird name that sounded kind of cool, and, oh, now, like, they're in the tournament. I might pick them because they got a Z in their name. That's what Gonzaga was until they made the Elite Eight out of nowhere in 98, and then it kind of it changed the course of the program. And then, you know, five, six seasons later, they're, they're in it every single season. And then, you know, Mark Fuse building an outright dynasty out in Spokane. There is – we cannot possibly project any kind of analog to that to come. So the closest thing that we could look at is a program – probably from a single bid or, you know, multi-bid, just two or three bid kind of league, and who might be best set up, be it because of talent pool, coaching, league, or otherwise, to be that kind of school. Now, you had Wichita State kind of be that to a certain degree, and I think that's a fair answer. It might be the obvious and easy answer, Um, but if I was going to go outside that, I'm trying to pick, like, what team... And the A10 would be best suited to do it. Um, like I feel like Dayton's too big, uh, but uh, d- lucky. Fortunately for you, you're talking to the MC I of A10 know, Media. I know what I'm talking. I know, I know, I know. I mean, I, Dayton is the most 
obvious candidate to me out of the A-10, but they almost feel like they've already been good enough. I don't know. Who comes to mind for you? If we're focusing on the A-10, I've always thought St. Louis has a ton of potential. Like, like um, beautiful on-campus arena, amazing city to recruit to, um, basketball talent within the state, basketball talent within the city. Um, I've, I've always thought St. Louis was one where it's a better job than than than, than I think it, it's a better job than what it's been for people over the years. Um, so I, I, St. Louis maybe would be one. Uh, the the truth is I don't think there's anything like Gonzaga. Um, if you, if you could go back several years and, and ask this question, say a decade ago, Wichita State would have been a good answer. Um, I, I would expand the question. If we'll acknowledge there's no great perfect answer to the specific question he asked, I would expand the question to programs that haven't been consistently good for a while but could be top 25 good for the next decade. I got the answer for you. Let's see if it's the same one I've got. Well, the program that I'm going to say has been good as of late, but it had a massive down period, like decades, and now it's back, and I can see it being top 25 caliber for a decade, and that's Houston under Kelvin Sampson. I've got Houston, and I would say the same thing about Arkansas. Arkansas can be, yes. I mean, yes, it can be that. Arkansas has been way down. Yeah, so yeah, and it was funny as – yeah, you know, Kelvin Sampson was lobbied, you know, to potentially be the next Arkansas coach and says that he uh, winds up staying at Houston. But, yeah, Houston was obviously great for a short period of time there, late 70s, early 80s, and then it just completely goes away as a, a non-relevant program for decades, and now it's back. And I can – if you told me that Sampson coached the next seven years at Houston, they made the NCAA tournament every single season and even made a Final Four, I would believe you because his reputation as an X and O guy is that good. And, um, you know, an, another one, like if Chris Beard stays at Texas Tech, that can be a program that did nothing for a while and then is consistently top 25, um, yeah. you know, for the next decade. And then, you know, TJ Otzelberger at UNLV, if you're looking for a program that's had great history, performed outside of the traditional power structure, um, it's hard to, to get back, you know, to where UNLV once was. Perhaps it's impossible, but I do think TJ is going to, going to make UNLV a, a solid program uh, again. It might take a minute, but I think you can get it there. So listen, as always, thank you guys for, for those questions. Um, when I started asking you to do it, I didn't know if you really would um, to the extent that you have, uh, but you have. You've been great. We appreciate it. We will spend uh, the end of every midweek podcast focusing on some of your questions. So please keep going to Apple Podcasts, rating the podcast five stars, leaving nice comments, and also, yes, asking questions. We'll pluck you know, uh, three uh, to focus on at the end of every midweek podcast. Looking forward, mm. I'm going to be in studio again on uh, Wednesday night, CBS Sports Network. We've got uh, an A-10 tip-off show that starts at 6.30 Eastern. So if you're an Atlantic 10 fan, we will do a 30-minute show strictly and exclusively on the Atlantic 10. That'll start at 6.30 leading into Davidson at Rhode Island. And the second game of our doubleheader will be Tulane at UConn. And so the interesting thing there is, is Davidson. You know, that's a team that I had preseason top 25 and one. Now, maybe I was wrong because they weren't in the AP poll. So if you want to do a reverse poll attacks, maybe this is the place to do it. But I had Davidson preseason top 25 and one, six and seven on a two game losing streak, just lost to Vanderbilt, just lost to Duquesne. It doesn't really register nationally because they've never been ranked in the AP poll all season. Mm -hmm. So if you're not ranked in the AP poll, people largely don't know what you're doing. But Davidson's been a, 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 a surprising disappointment for me this season. They have been. Um, 
I spoke so I spoke with Bruce Pearl on Monday night, and I will have uh, Auburn will lead the court report on Wednesday. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, bring it up on the app. Do me a favor, give it a read there. Um, talk with Pearl about a number of things. But he did mention in passing. Oh, by the way, you know we schedule we schedule Davidson to open the season in the game that was on CBS Sports Network. Um, uh, out at uh, out at Navy, he goes. No one, <laughs> no one willingly <laughs> schedules Bob McKillop, but we wanted to do it because we thought Davidson was going to be top thirty quality, top two team in the A ten. And he mentioned it because I was talking about the fact that Auburn hasn't played like a quad one team yet and all that that stuff. And we were we were kind of vexed as to what has happened with Davidson. I've actually had a couple of coaches be like, "What is like?" They were expected to be NCAA tournament quality, really really good. And that has just not happened. A team that has just completely slipped off the radar of the radar at six and seven. Um, but I promise you this: like within that league, opposing coaches will be terrified every time you have to play Davidson because now you got a Davidson team that's not ex- that hasn't been as good as expected, but is still a danger no matter what every night because the prep for them. Almost anyone will tell you prepping for McKillop's team is just—it's just a massive headache. From what you got to scout to what you got to get your players to know, hope that they run it right. So they have gone from preseason favorite to now potential bugaboo, and they're going to do like what Nebraska did to Iowa on Tuesday night. That could be what Davidson turns into, and just kind of be in that spot where teams wind up being terrified that they're going to get picked off, particularly in games that are uh, you know at Davidson. So, again, I'm sure we'll touch on this A-10 tip-off show. That's going to be at 6.30 Eastern on Wednesday on CBS Sports Network. And then uh, it'll be followed by Davidson at Rhode Island, Tulane at UConn. That's on CBS Sports Network, the 24-hour home of CBS Sports. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. Fatigo. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please... If you haven't done it already, go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. While you're there, rate it favorably, five stars, leave a nice comment, and we will talk to you again. I think we already decided on Thursday night, right? That's correct. We will be doing a Thursday night podcast because my leg ain't dead. Your boy, <laughs> your boy. Hopefully not regrettably, your boy's going skiing for the only time this 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 season this weekend. So we're gonna get that done Thursday. So I can get to the mountain Friday. We'll make the pick. So, yes, if you are the type that wants to listen to the pot as soon as possible, it's going to be in your phone before I go to bed on Thursday night. Oh, dead leg Norlander on the slopes. Looking forward to that. So uh, we're going to talk to you again on Thursday night. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.